Today's episode is sponsored by the American Chemistry Council. Chemistry creates, America competes. Dan, do you ever think about how someday you might be able to look at your grandkid and say, I remember a time when it was illegal to get margaritas to go? <laughs> and they'll say, No way, Grandpa, you're lying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then I'll tell them about how I used to need a quarter to make a phone call home. <laughs> Alcohol to go may be the one thing people hope sticks around after the pandemic ends, and state lawmakers are trying to make it a reality. Relief for local restaurant owners. The city of San Diego says outdoor dining operations can stick around for at least another year. There were so many things and conveniences that got wrapped up into public health emergency orders. Everything from the ability to take out alcohol from your favorite restaurant to getting medical marijuana delivered to your door to telehealth visits. Pandemic forced physicians into implementing telehealth technology, but many of them say it became a viable long-term option because they were able to charge the same for in-person and online visits, and they want to make sure that continues. I'm Jeremy Siegel. This is Politico Dispatch, and today... Now that governors are anxious to end these emergencies, there's a huge rush to get legislatures to codify some of the more popular perks that came about during the COVID era. Perks, perks, perks. Dan Goldberg on whether they're here to stay. So I'll give you the, the sort of elevator pitch summary version of this. As everyone knows, last year in the spring, the entire country shut down. All right, Nike and Apple among the big names closing retail locations in the United States. Courtney Reagan joins us. She's got more on this front right now. And Courtney, you think this is just a precursor of what's to come? I really do, Becky. I feel like pretty soon we won't need these lists and we're just going to say everybody's closed. They're the public health advice was from every state, conservatives, liberals, everyone, was stay at home unless you absolutely have to go out. I'm issuing executive order GA-14. In short, what this provides is that Texans are expected to limit personal interactions that can lead to the spread of COVID-19. And what that meant, obviously, was that a whole host of businesses which rely on in-person contact were shut down. And governors, sometimes lawmakers, but mostly governors using executive authority under these public health emergencies, started to waive rules, regulations, and laws to make it easier for both businesses to survive without in-person contact and life a little bit more bearable for people staying at home. Mm -hmm. So on the one end of the spectrum of something we don't think of as, you know, quote unquote sexy, they made notaries allowed to do virtual appointments, hmm. right? If you buy a house or get a divorce or whatever, you didn't have to go sit in a dank office mm -hmm. next to somebody watching you sign your name. So that's on the one end. On the other end, a little bit uh, something that maybe more of us have availed ourselves of was uh, cocktails to go. Yeah. That you could pick up, you know, uh, some tacos from your favorite Mexican place and get a margarita along with it. And because, you know, for restaurants, alcohol is such a high margin business. And there were a whole host of those types of things that got wrapped up in these public health emergency orders. So now we're at a point where vaccinations are up, COVID cases are declining, and emergency orders in states and cities across the country are going to be expiring. And you're reporting that there's now sort of this frenzy to try to make some of these changes that you talked about permanent. And I want to walk through sort of each of these different types of temporary changes and what could happen with them in the long run, because obviously notaries and margaritas are uh, 
pretty different things. Um, <laughs> let's start with what's happening with restaurants and bars. Mm-hmm. Could Marg's to go become a forever thing? Yes, it could absolutely happen. Um, I, I guess last week, Nebraska became the 14th state to allow alcohol to go. Um, remember, before the pandemic, there were zero states that allowed alcohol to go. I mean, there were some uh, special allowances in New Orleans and Las Vegas, which are obviously uh, unique situations. Mm-hmm. But at a state level, nobody did this. Now, already, we've got 14 states. Um, I believe there's still a bill before Missouri. But I think in many parts of the country, uh, we're going to see alcohol to go. And the states that don't do it this year are certainly going to be pressured by the industry, uh, the restaurant industry, uh, to do so in the coming years. And they'll be they'll have a lot stronger of a case. Uh, there was always some pushback from people saying, well, do we really want people putting alcohol in their car and what could happen? But if 14 states do so without too much trouble, I, I would certainly expect to see other states follow suit, especially because it's good for small businesses. Um, and the restaurants, even though you know a lot of dining capacity restrictions have been lifted, are still struggling. Let me ask, those 14 states you mentioned, these are permanently allowing uh, alcohol to go? Yes. Huh. Um, is there an argument against stuff like this continuing? Like if we see, you know, more pressure from restaurant groups and bars to get state lawmakers to, you know, pass these in, in the remaining states, like is there a legit argument not to do it? Well, it depends how you construct. I mean, the devil is in the details, right? So there are certainly groups uh, who uh, want to make sure that the cup is sealed. They want to make sure it's not easy to get into it so you can't drink and drive. Uh-huh. Uh, I think every state is sort of on board with that. There are some concerns about making sure people are 21 and over. Um, and, and then there are more parochial interests, uh, depending on what state you have, uh, liquor stores who may oppose it because they, they fear it takes business, uh, you know, money out of their pocket. Mm-hmm. Um, but by and large, this has pretty broad support, which is why I, I expect it's moving so quickly in so many states and why I would expect it to continue to move. Um, another area of change you reported on is telehealth right. and how some providers are saying they saw some major positive effects in a way because of the pandemic with, you know, increased use and accessibility of, of telehealth. Like, explain what they say has changed for the better during the pandemic. Well, a couple of the most important things they said they saw a decrease in missed appointments, right? I mean, there's so many times where something comes up and you can't make it to the doctor's office, but if it is a telehealth visit, people generally are more apt to make that appointment, especially for mental health appointments. Um, So that was a huge benefit that providers, doctors, physicians have have all pointed to. The other was a sort of equity argument. You know, there are a lot of people, single moms uh, who have childcare issues or disabled folks who struggle to get into a car or downtown to the doctor where telehealth can really be the difference between making an appointment and not. So I think those probably were the the biggest beneficiaries. And then there were also doctors who told me that they thought their patients were taking follow-ups more seriously. Mm -hmm. You know, if a doctor just calls you out of the blue to redo your test results and tell you to cut down on your, you know, carbohydrates or or whatever, you may brush it off. But if it's a scheduled appointment that you've made that you know this time in your day is reserved for a doctor, some doctors are saying patients will take it more seriously when it is set up like that. I think that's a little more anecdotal, um, but it's out there. 
Is there anything preventing this from continuing? I mean, people, doctors will still have access to computers, right? Like, was there an easing of legislation like we saw with restaurants and bars to make it easier for doctors to do telehealth or easier for patients? Yes. I mean, there's two things. You know, a lot of it's it's hard to believe, but a lot of telehealth rules in this country were written in the 90s. Really? Yeah. If you remember, the Internet wasn't quite what it is today. <laughs> um, so there were some rules uh, regarding about, you know, do you have to treat a patient uh, from your office if you're using telehealth or can you tr- can you be at home when you treat that patient? Where does the patient have to be? Hmm. You know, there are a lot of rules about making sure the patient, you know, you have to treat somebody in the state that you're licensed in. A lot of telehealth rules were waived to, to allow, you know, if somebody was in Maine and the doctor was in Massachusetts, uh, that would still be allowed. Mm-hmm. But the biggest hurdle with telehealth is how much do our insurers going to pay the doctor for a telehealth visit? You know, in some states, there were essentially parity rules, uh, required insurers to pay a doctor the same for telehealth as they would for a regular office visit. And the theory there was nobody could go in for an office visit or it wasn't safe to do so. So we don't want doctors to lose money. Mm -hmm. Now that the pandemic is over, insurance companies make the case that, well, wait a minute, there's no office. There's less overhead. Why should we pay the same rate for a visit? Mm -hmm. The doctors will come back and say, well, I still have to have an office. I still have to have uh, somebody who makes the appointment, somebody who handles insurance. My overhead's not that much lower. And if you don't pay me the same, I'm just not going to do it. Um, and I think that's going to be a, a much longer term battle playing out. Um, and, and, you know, we've seen that in every kind of healthcare fight is, is a lot of it comes down to money. Where could we see that fight play out? Like you said, you know, states are going to be or could be changing rules when it comes to restaurants and stuff. Is that how it works for telehealth or is that something that's like regulated at the federal level? How does that work? So Medicaid and um, state-based insurance plans are regulated at the state level, certain parts of Medicaid, I should say. Mm-hmm. Um, Medicare and uh, any kind of self-funded plan, the, the kind like we have at Politico, mm-hmm. um, that's going to require federal legislation. Um, and Congress has been stuck on telehealth for, for a long time. It does not, I never want to say never, um, but it's certainly not in the short term. Uh, it doesn't look like Congress is going to take that up. Dan Goldberg, thanks so much for talking with me. Thank you. It's always a pleasure. Also today... A group of Senate Democrats led by Cory Booker is calling on Google to carry out a racial equity audit to investigate how the tech giant's products may contribute to discrimination. In a letter sent this week to executives at Google and parent company Alphabet, the lawmakers expressed alarm about the recent ouster of two women who lead the company's ethical artificial intelligence team and over reports that Google's tools may perpetuate racial biases by relying on data that underrepresents minorities. Google spokespeople did not immediately respond to a request for comment. And the White House is ramping up efforts to ensure that adults get vaccinated and are announcing extended pharmacy hours for shots, free childcare for recipients, expanded community outreach efforts, and even free beer. The push is part of a broader effort by the administration to encourage and make it easier for unvaccinated Americans to get COVID shots and meet a goal of giving at least one shot to 70% of U.S. adults by July 4th. 
Just under 63% of American adults have currently gotten at least one dose, and more than 12 states have already surpassed the 70% mark. But vaccinations are lagging in some southern states like Mississippi, Missouri, and Arkansas. Today's episode included music composed by Breakmaster Cylinder. If you like what you're hearing, be sure to subscribe to Politico Dispatch. And if you can, tell a friend to check out the show. I'm Jeremy Siegel. Thanks for listening.